Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 226. Just stay hungry. Stay hungry. If there's one thing that, you know, has uh, has motivated me through the years, having the same passion and desire, and I'm not going to say for winning, but I'm going to say hatred for losing that you do when you're a young guy. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special and very fast guest, Johnny O'Connell. Johnny, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Always, every single day. All right, great to have you here. Johnny O'Connell is a three-time World Challenge GT driver champion. He races the number three Cadillac Racing ATS VR Coupe with back-to-back-to-back GT Drivers Championships in 2012, 13, and 14. He was instrumental in the Cadillac winning consecutive manufacturer titles. He is recognized as one of North America's most talented and versatile racing drivers, and he started his career back in 1987 racing formula cars. He's raced in Indy cars, numerous endurance races, and he's won his class at the 24-hour of Le Mans in his first outing, plus he's the first American to win four times at Le Mans. He's a three-time ALMS GT1 champion, and he holds a black belt in karate. Don't mess with Johnny. (laughs) Johnny, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your racing career, your interests, and of course your passion for racing? Oh, my goodness, man. Well, you know, I'm an old man now. But, uh, <laughs> actually, no, I'm not. It's a funny thing. As you get older, you know, uh, how how fast everything goes. I mean, it is uh, a blink of an eye. You know, I actually first got into cars in 1984. Uh-huh. But I actually first, uh, boy, you know what? I got hooked at a really young age. And, I, and I, it's a pretty vivid memory. I was probably about five years old. And uh, I grew up in Connecticut. And the family was vacationing in Cape Cod, and they had a little rental place where you could rent go-karts. And, you know, remember how, like, you go to the amusement park, and they had, like, the height line? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't tall enough to drive one by myself, and Uh-oh. my dad, you know, let me sit on his lap. Yep. And, I mean, just hooked. Just hooked. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't remember. I, and, I, you know, you can remember the smells of the gasoline and the grease and the dirtiness of it all. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, 
And I got to tell you, I can to this day remember that racetrack. Wow. You know, uh, the exact layout of it. And then the next year, you know, uh, I still wasn't tall enough. I don't know whether I started crying, which I probably did. <laughs> but, uh, or my dad maybe slipped the guy five bucks or something. But they let me drive one and just killed my brother and sister. And I mean, I probably weighed all of like 45 pounds. Yeah, so, a little uh, advantage. But, uh, but yeah, and then that from, from that moment on, I was hooked. You know, I can, you know, relating it to cars. You know, we lived in a town uh, in, right next to Greenwich, Connecticut. And uh, on the other side of Greenwich was Byram, which it was where uh, Luigi Cinetti oh, set up yeah. his uh, Ferrari dealership. Oh, yeah. American race teams. and. You know, I mean, I was probably seven, and my dad, you know, and nobody in my family was into cars or racing or anything silly like that. But my dad knew that, okay, man, this kid, like, digs cars. And yeah. one weekend brought me out to the dealership, and, uh, you know, it, and it, again, another vivid memory. You know, uh, I remember seeing, you know, a Dino in oh, the, yeah. uh, man, I wish I could have bought that car. Yeah. And just being like, you know, I had to have been drooling or whatever, you know, or <laughs> and because this guy, you know, came up to my dad. He's like, hey, you know, what? we got race cars in the basement. Oh. And took me down and uh, got to see the race cars down there. And, uh, wow. You know, and really, I mean, as young as the first grade, I knew, you know, I want to, I want to race cars. And so, uh, well, I think I was about the second or third grade, started cutting lawns, making some money. And I bought my first go kart from my brother in the third grade. He had bought it for $25, you know, at like three o'clock and sold it to me for $28 at <laughs> well, six o'clock. Here's a business. So, <laughs> so yeah, jerky brother. <laughs> but, uh, then we lived right across the street from an elementary school. So I would just burn fuel, burn fuel, burn fuel. And, you know, I, I had this white half shell helmet with STP stickers on it. <laughs> that was my childhood pretending that I was Mario Andretti. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, and what's really kind of cool, you know, you, when, when you grow up, you have heroes. Of course, Mario, you know, is one of mine. And I've been so lucky, so blessed to meet so many of my heroes, uh, my childhood heroes. And some have, you know, you're like, dude, you're a jerk, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, but Mario, Mario was just such a and is such a, a great guy. And we actually had the opportunity to be teammates, although uh, in, in different cars in 2000 at Le Mans. Oh wow! And uh, it was uh, it was actually Mario, Yan Magnuson, and David Brabham in one car, and then it was myself, uh, Hiroki Kato, and Pierre Henri Raphael, who is now the uh, Bugatti best driver. Yeah, so he gets to haul button of Aaron. But yeah, we we had a great race. We finished fifth overall. And uh, so we were we were pretty stoked about that, but uh, absolutely. But yeah, actually, you know, fast forwarding, you know, started uh, you know started racing. You know, my dad would take me up on weekends to this little this little track, and it was all really, you know, again, all my money that I made from go kart uh, from cut lawns and all that kind of stuff went into it. Yeah, chose my college, Denison University, because there was good go karting there, <laughs> and then. Uh, between my junior and senior year, I went out, and I can actually remember the dates, August 9th through 11th, 1983, went through the Jim Russell School. Oh, yeah. And that was the first time I ever drove a, a car. That was, a, I want to see, a, pretty sure it was a Crosley Formula Ford. Mm -hmm. Did that, and then uh, I then the, the, probably, you know, again, you, you look at your life, and there are moments that were defining moments, and certainly one of the defining moments was, you know, to graduate, I had to do an internship somewhere, and I, I did mine at the Jim Russell School. Mm -hmm. And while I was out there, they informed me that they had a this thing called the, the graduate runoffs. So if you had gone through their course, but not raced in the racing series, you were, you were eligible, and, uh, and it was 580 bucks. 
Now, I didn't have 580 bucks, but my dad had 580 bucks. <laughs> and so, and then I had a really cool stereo system that we used to, I used to like be a DJ to help pay my way through college and stuff. <laughs> and so I told my dad, listen, I'm going to be selling that thing and all that kind of stuff. Long story short, my dad's like, yeah, I'll cover it. But there's only 56 spots open. Okay. I would be number 57. So the only way I could get in is if one guy doesn't show up. Well, one guy doesn't show up. Ooh. Competition takes place. I win the thing, which means I got a free year race. Yeah. And so uh, so when I graduated, you know, moved out to, uh, this would be, uh, shoot, in June of 1984, moved out to, to California and took a job with a gallon wine company that would pay my bills and, uh, and went on to win that championship. Nice. The, the Jim Russell championship, and then had to make that decision. Do I want to be a businessman or a race car driver? And it wasn't much of a decision, really. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, by that time, saved up uh, about $3,000. And so uh, moved out to uh, Riverside, and, and no lie, lived in the ghettos of Riverside, California. <laughs> the, and thus it began. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, it's it, a uh, pretty amazing journey. And uh, shoot, I'm, I'm far from being done. So well, uh, I'm very thank, much enjoying what I'm doing. Well, thank goodness you're far from being done. And it's just wonderful. I know how difficult racing is. I've had many racers on cars. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of work in those early years, a lot of work in the latter years, and there's a lot of work to come. But we're so great you're out there doing what you're passionate about. As we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning. So, Johnny, take the wheel. Boy, there's so many things you know, <laughs> yes. uh, that leap to mind. You know, uh, very early in my career, you know, uh, a gentleman, Richard Bernard, great guy. Hmm. Asmer, one of my early coaches told me, you know what, dude, you are good. And as long as you stay with the sport, you'll have some order of success. Could have been just winning an SCCA race, you know, at that point in my career. Mm-hmm. Could have been going on to, to do really great things. You know, that sticks out. But, but as far as, like, the most inspirational thing, and, and probably the thing I rely on the most, uh, one of the guys that I raced against a lot back then was a guy named Jeff Krosnow. Great race car driver. Great, great, great race car driver. Really cool guy. Sadly, he got killed at Toronto. I want to say that was 96 or 97, mm-hmm. uh, driving an Indy car. But he had a motto that was just stay hungry stay hungry stay hungry so i'd say if, if there's one thing that you know has uh, has motivated me through the years it's just that you know uh having the same passion and desire and i'm not going to say for winning but i'm going to say hatred for losing mm. that you do when you're a young guy and uh, you know i mean i i, I study you know, a lot of people and you know you see guys and they get into their mid 40s maybe they start slowing down a little bit well they're fatigued mm-hmm. you know i mean they've been they've had their body beat up all they've ever done is travel 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 i mean it gets it gets tough yes and uh, and i just you know i've swore to myself that man you know what until i decide that i'm done I'm going to be the hungriest guy out there. And if the other guy is working out two hours a day, I'm going to work out three hours a day. And just, you know, the hunger for competition. So, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I, I think of Jeff often. And yeah. That was his motto. And uh, I guess I, I could say I adopted it myself. Well, it's great. Can you give me an example? When you say stay tough, stay fighting there, what's one example you might uh, inspire others with of how you, you keep that edge going as you age and you get more and more beat up? Is it... The physical health, I know a fellow friend of ours, Andy, mentioned to me that you're just uh, in a great physical shape and you're really focused on that. Would that be a key factor for you? 
Oh, yeah. Well, you have to be because, you know, I mean, the sport has certainly changed, you know, uh, with the amount of training guys do these days versus like the 80s. You know, very few of us ever worked out or ran or swam or, or you know, did other things. I mean, it was you just got in the race car and you were a cowboy and you went. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now, now you've got to, you know, you've got to watch what you eat. You've got to watch your weight and uh, and just know that, you know what, all right, there's some 28, 29-year-old kid that wants to replace you. <laughs> yes. Every single year, I'm I'm sure GM gets at least a hundred resumes from guys that would be willing to do what I do and charge half of what I charge. Yep. You know, and uh, and so you know, luckily it's close to a million dollar race car because then I can say, well, if you want to save a little bit of money, all it takes is one wreck, yeah. and you know the young guys wreck. But uh, yeah. but uh, but yeah, no, I mean it is it, it's who you are as a person. How much fight do you have? You know, in you. And, uh, how much, you know, uh, how much are you willing to endure for your love of the sport? Absolutely. You know, you talked about that first time on the go-kart track, and maybe that's the answer to this next question I have for you, but I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars and racing, that pivotal moment when you truly knew you wanted to race cars. Well, I can tell you (laughs) that... (laughs) It was well before the third grade because in the third grade, my teacher, Ms. Crummick, gave us an assignment. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh. Kind of like, remember that Remember that movie Christmas Story? Oh, I love and that. it's like, yep. what do you want for Christmas? Yep. He wants a red man. He, he's like, man, that's all I can think yep. of. Well, that was me with racing. And luckily, my mom saved that paper. I still have that paper. Oh, no kidding. And, uh, but it was when I grow up, I'll, I want to be a Grand Prix racing driver. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Then, the, then, then like the last paragraph. It was, uh, if I'm not a racing car driver, I will be a baseball player, and they'll call me Slugger. Uh, <laughs> so, you had but, a backup uh, plan. <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, it was around kindergarten or first grade. I, I wow. remember, you know, watching, uh, maybe it was the Indy 500, a race on TV, and gosh, going back, that's the old tiny little black and white TV that everybody, you know, you only had one of them, and, uh, you know, you changed the channel with a dial. Yeah. My dad on weekends, you know, he'd get up early, and he'd go down to, uh, the little uh, local, there's kind of like a convenience store back then. It was called Ada's by, right by the train station. And uh-huh. it was probably only, you know, about a four or five minute drive down there. But I'd get up because, you know, when I, and I'm talking kindergarten, first grade, because not only would my dad buy me candy, but also he'd let me sit next to him and steer the car. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so I was like always wanting to, to wake up early just so I could drive the car. What so, uh, you yeah, know, it was an early age. Yeah, that's great. Well, hopefully Miss Crummett didn't give you a C-plus on that paper and tell you you'd poke your eye out. <laughs> no, 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 no. She, she's like, good luck with that one, brother. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Would you share with me a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career? And the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome with that immense challenge and how were you able to move forward from it? Oh, God, there's a, there's a, there's a lot. You know, the, you know the, the highs and lows of this sport are... Uh, Wow. Like you wouldn't believe. Yep. Uh, I can go to, I want to say it was 1988 or 89. And, you know, Bobby Rahal and I attended the same university. And when I graduated and stuff and I started having some, some success, he was a great mentor. And he actually got me a, uh, a tryout with Paul Stewart Racing, which is Jackie Stewart's son's team uh-huh. at the time. And so I went over, you know, I flew over to Snetterton and, you know, hung out with Jackie, which was very cool and did the test and uh, was the fastest in the test of all four guys there, myself being one. Uh The other three were Jill Farron, 
David Coulthard and Mika Salo. Oh, my gosh. And they had been to the racetrack. I'd never been there and was over a second quicker than all of them. Wow. And so uh, got back. You know, Bobby was, like, ecstatic, and Jackie was ecstatic. And we needed to raise, for, in order for me to compete the following year uh, for that team, $750,000. Okay? Mm, wow. You would think that with Bobby Rahal and Jackie Stewart trying to find the money, we could find it. Yeah. And we couldn't. And uh, and so uh, that that was unbelievably disappointing. Yes. And uh, but I mean, when you want something, you know, uh, so bad, you just don't quit. Mm-hmm. So I mean, if there's like a mole, you just you know, it's like you don't quit. A great example of that is I tested for Nissan in end of eighty nine ninety. There were like five or six invited to this test, and the number one driver for the team at that time was a guy named Steve Millen. And Steve went out and Steve laid the time down. Mm-hmm. Now everybody. Okay, just another one of those deals. <laughs> you know, nobody else, you know, got within a uh, within a second of Millen. I went faster than him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so you know, and I remember. I mean, it was vivid. Calling, you know, Ray Hall, and like you know, telling him about the test. And he's like, "Great job, great job." And I'm thinking, okay, may, it's not open wheel, it's not or anything like that, but it's a job. You know, mm-hmm. driving for a factory. Yeah. So if you're not racing Indy cars or F1, being a sports car driver for a factory like Nissan at that time was pretty good. Sure. So, you know, the Nissan brings me down to L.A. They haven't talked with me. And they're like, listen, man, uh, we're really, really impressed with you. But uh, but we're going with Jeremy Dale. Oh. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And they're like, here's the deal. We don't want two number ones. We want a number one and a number two. And then they also, by taking Jeremy, and Jeremy's a great guy and a great race car driver, mm-hmm. but they, what they do is they took him away from Dodge. So he was their competition, oh. okay, you know, in the lower category. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, you know, when I told Ray Hall, he, he told me that I should do something. And, uh, and so I would literally call him every two weeks and say, hey, Johnny, you know, just want to know if you guys are going to be testing, if you need anybody to bed pads or running gearboxes or anything like that. No, no, no. Well, a month or two goes by and they stop taking your call. But then after, you know, again, five or six months, you know, they're calling you back yeah. and saying, hey, we got a test and, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and that's been consistent throughout my career because I, that's how I got to deal with Don Panos. And, uh, you know, the only, the only ride I ever got with one phone call was, was the ride with Corvette racing. So, mm. uh, yeah. uh, it, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's one of the hardest sports in the world. Yeah. To, to to maintain a career and all that kind of stuff and you know I, I you know my you know this is my 15th year racing for General Motors and I got to tell you what I'm the luckiest guy in the world to have a manufacturer like GM you know behind me first with Corvette and of course now with Cadillac believing you and give you the equipment I'm very blessed yeah well a lot of talent goes behind that that blessing and a lot of talent behind that hard work but the the golden nugget there is you just got to keep at it, got to keep at it. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and love for you to share a story when you had an aha moment in your racing career. It was that time when you realized, you know what, I think this racing is going to be for me. Yeah, you know, that would be probably Wilton, Connecticut, and it was my first official race, and, uh, and I was like probably fourth or fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can still remember the kid in front of me setting them up and passing them. And, <laughs> and, and it was like with one lap to go. And that moment of 
unbelievable happiness. Just like ha- so happy you could cry. Yeah. You don't want to talk because you're going to start crying because you're just <laughs> that happy. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that would be my, my aha moment. I mean, I knew. Awesome. Uh, there, 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 wasn't, there wasn't a doubt. Yeah. And, uh, yes. You know, it's funny. Like junior high school and stuff. Yeah. You know, you know how you remember walking through the halls and people everywhere and all that kind of stuff? They weren't people to me. They were trapped. And so, <laughs> that, you know games. what I mean? You, you come up behind a guy, you draft him, pull out, pass him, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Always thinking about being on the track. Oh, yeah. What was the first really special race car that you strapped yourself into and ran? Oh, boy. Now, now there have been so many special race cars. The first one that you got into and you went, I cannot believe I'm here. That would be the, the joy of running, you know, that first Formula Ford. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first time actually, you know, learning heel toe and mastering heel toe. It's so funny because, you know, the first day of the three day course at the Jim Russell school, they would teach you in an exercise how to heel toe, which is a technique race car drivers do to smoothly go down the gearbox. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that you don't get compression skids and I could not do it. And I mean, I left, you know, the track that day freaked out like, holy crap. You know, this is a critical skill and you can't do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, went and got my Big Mac meal and went back to the hotel and literally put three napkins on the floor and practiced my footwork uh, that <laughs> night. Got awesome. into the race car the next day and it was butter. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just a magical. I can remember, you know, just the smell of those cars. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I would have to say that was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, something just clicked. Let's have a little bit of fun here. I know you've ran so many races, but is there one in particular that stands out in your mind? And can you kind of touch base on what that one race was that just was so memorable? Oh, boy. Again, you know, in, in, a, in 30 years, okay, I've been racing cars now. 30 years coming close up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but I've been lucky enough to win 10 championships. And so many of those you know, have come down to the final race of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, the very first one, 1984 championship for the Jim Russell School, was at Laguna Seca, and I had never been there. Everybody else that I was racing against had been there, and I was running third, maybe a second behind uh, two guys. One was Jeff Krosnoff, the Stay Hungry guy, and the other guy was named, named John Richards. And going into old turn nine at Laguna, it's new, now 11 at Laguna. Oh, yeah. Because they changed that circuit, I want to say, in 88. Mm-hmm. Jeff went inside. John, they touched wheels, and they both, like, lost momentum. And I went on by to win the race and win the championship. You know, that one was, uh, that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah. You know, another memorable one was a couple of years ago, uh, two, three years ago at Long Beach. I was running second to Alex Figgy. He, going into turn one, exploded a rotor. Mm. And uh, he starts ping-ponging off of walls, okay? Part of the rotor goes through my radiator. Oh, gosh. And there's like nine, there's like nine minutes left in the race. I know it's going to be under caution. But I'm spewing out all my water. Yeah. And then, you know, and I'm like, I'm asking the guys on the radio, what do I do? Do I pit? They're like, stay out, stay out. I'm like, well, do I turn a lot of revs or low revs? Nobody knew. Yeah. How do you save an engine? Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's going to expire on you. And literally, no lie, white flag, my car's still running. Get uh. through one. Get through turn three. Four, turn four, the thing starts seizing on me, and it dies going into turn five. So literally, you know, half a mile from from winning the uh, the Long Beach Grand Prix. So, oh my gosh, that 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 one sticks out as well. Yeah, you get highs and lows. Oh, absolutely. How about current projects? What are you working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? 
Well, just uh, racing my Cadillac. Yeah. You know, that it is the, uh, it, it, the one of the most enjoyable parts of my life. Uh, you know, uh, we, we've got a brand new race car, the ATS VR. A lot of exciting things I know are going to happen. And you know what? When you bring out a new race car, you know, you're learning about it. You know, you got to find out what spring rates it likes, what dampers. You know, there's so much, you know, uh, different things that uh, need to be uh, done with, with the engine. And, and, and it is, you know, I mean, the, the best analogy I can give, you know, racing is a team sport. And uh, the driver's just the quarterback. And so, you know, I, I love the relationship that you develop with your engineers and helping them you know, take, you know, numbers and put it into feel and what I'm looking for in the race car. So, yeah. uh, so that's a great thing, you know, other than that, you know, uh, a time consuming project near and dear to my heart. You know, my daughter lives with me uh-huh. and, uh, she's a senior in, uh, in, uh, high school. Yeah. And so we've been doing the whole college application. Oh yeah. College visit thing. Fun, so, uh, fun so that's times. Been, oh yeah. 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 I've been through that. Cherish those times are fantastic. And I tell you with what Cadillac has been doing with their cars, uh, especially lately. And of course with the racing is just incredible. Uh, the cars are just amazing. They look so cool. They're so fast. So, yes, uh, you must be having a lot of fun with Cadillac right now. Can't wait for the rest of the season. It's a great time to be a Cadillac. It's funny because when I was at, you know, I spent 10 years racing for Corvette, very glorious C5, C6 era, mm-hmm. and which was kind of a, a rebirth of the passion that was Corvette. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was throughout the entire company. The same, you know, excitement really exists at Cadillac now, perhaps even more so. Because, you know, I think there's right now a, a, a re-education to the world as to what Cadillac is. They rested on their laurels a, a very long time. Oh, yeah. We are in the process of re-educating the world as to what a Cadillac is. And, yes. you know, there's a reason Mercedes is in racing. There's a reason Audi is in racing and BMW and Porsche. All your top, top marks at some level of factory involvement, they're in racing because it does several, it achieves several things. Number one, it, it definitely does improve the breed of streetcar. But two, it's that persona of being athletic. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though, you know, Cadillac is, is known as a luxury brand, it is a performance luxury brand in the same line that Audi or BMW, uh, you know, are. Right. And it's funny because people will awesome, you know, often say, oh, I don't need performance. And my response is, Everybody needs performance because there's not a driver in the world that hasn't like had a dog run out in front of them and you got to get on the brakes because you never want to hit a a dog. Yeah. Now here's a really introspective question for you. If Johnny was a race car, what kind of race car would he be and why? Well, let me see. (laughs) You know, I don't know. I'd probably, I'd probably be a prototype. You know, one yeah. of the coolest cars I ever I, I, I ever drove was the Nissan P35, mm-hmm. and uh, it actually never made it to the racetrack. It was a combined effort between NPTI, which was Nissan's racing team over here, and Nismo, which was the racing team in Japan. And, yeah. And uh, but that was a pretty phenomenal car. And and because it never got raced or beat up, that would mean that I was just like sitting in a museum having a really good life. So that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> there you go. So, Johnny, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kids book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the Little Red Racing Car. 
Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at carpegear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E, gear.com. All right, Johnny, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Ready. What's the best racing advice you've ever received and who was it from? Oh, boy, you know what? Never quit. That was either James Bebs, Besmer, or Richard Spinard letting me know that as long as I st- stuck with it, I'd have some order of success. There you go. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success in racing? Commitment to, to doing well. But uh, but the other thing, you know, uh, I'm a pretty superstitious guy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I will, you know, complain to who's ever doing our catering, you know, in the mornings about not having red cups for coffee. <laughs> and I like Twizzlers. And, you know, I, I got a whole bunch of, of stupid, stupid little quirky things that I do. But it's all psychologically based in that if you do the same thing every single weekend, yeah. your mind mentally will be in the same place every time you're in the car. So Yeah, you know, what comes to mind is our uh, local Seattle Seahawks, Marshawn Lynch and his Skittles. <laughs> when you mentioned yeah. Twizzlers, yeah. you know, just... It's that uh, consistency that happens. How about a resource? I know there are tons of them out there these days with the internet, but is there one place you think the Car Show listeners should go that would be really fun? Well, you know, I, I mean, if they want to be drivers, you know, really, you know, there are some, some really good ones. You know, the Bob Bondurant School, who I've had a long association with, is a wonderful place to learn uh, the skills needed to, to drive. Mm-hmm. you know, race cars. Uh, they're out in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Spring Mountain, of course, has, uh, you know, both the Corvette and Cadillac school out there. And then, of course, there, you know, uh, Skip Barber. You know, he's all over the country. You know, my, my advice is, you know, though, if you've got a passion for driving, you know, and you want to race, you got to learn the skills. You yeah. know, best example, everybody can throw baseball but not everybody can throw a curveball. And that's that's what the driving schools do. How about a book? Is there one book in particular that you would share with our listeners that you really enjoyed? Oh, God. You know, I like Chunky. <laughs> I like, you know, uh, what, what was the guy's name? Vince Flynn or whatever. Oh. He, he, like, he, he does these books about this, like, assassin named Mitch Rapp. Uh-huh. And, th- and those are probably my favorite novels. I could read those things <laughs> over and over and over. Get a little escape. All right, we'll put those up there. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these resources at com slash Johnny O'Connell. All right, Johnny, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could have only one collector car, or I'll say collector race car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost today. I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one special collector car be? You know, again, I form relationships with my personal cars, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I name them and all that kind of stuff. I have a hard <laughs> time letting them go. Yeah. And uh, you know, if you were to ask me what what car that I personally owned was my favorite, that uh, and this would this would be probably number two to answer your question mm-hmm. on my list. It was a 1969 TR6, oh. and uh, man, I love that car. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you, at 60 miles an hour, it felt like what you'd be doing at 160 oh, nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just, you felt the road so yeah. much in that. But you know what? I'm going to go back to uh, what it was probably my first car that I was passionate about, which was the Dino Ferrari. 
Oh, and uh, yeah. You know, I just uh, beautiful, sexy lines, and uh, yeah, I, I go Italian. Have you been able to uh, drive a Dino? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, well, you know what? And I mean, it was funny because you go back, you know, five years ago or six years ago, and and uh, I was actually Dinos were going for about one hundred fifty, hundred seventy then. Yeah, back and then. I was like, and I, and, Not and anymore. I was like, God, you should, you should get one. You should get one. I'm like, God, dude, you, you just bought a house. You can't afford yeah, it. Yeah, You should get one. But yeah, yeah. Now they're like four hundred. Oh Two. gosh, yeah. I remember yeah. when they were floundering around fifty or sixty grand a year, and yeah. I've got a friend with one that now is he could easily get a half million dollars for the car, and yeah. uh, you know I those. That guy. Oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I tell him too, but. You know, good for him, but the first Ferrari I ever drove was a Dino back when I was 16 years old. I, I had a detailing business, and one of my clients had one, and he would let me drive that from his house in Mission Beach back to La Jolla, where I detailed the cars at our home. And every time I drove that car, I thought I was a race car driver. I would take the long way, the long way. They are beautiful, beautiful. Johnny, you've taken me on a great ride today around the track. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your fantastic journey in racing with me and the listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the racetrack? Well, piece of uh, guidance. You know what? Keep the racing to the racetrack. Yes. I tell everybody, you know what? When it comes to speed limits, you're always safe or close to being safe if you're only about 10 miles an hour over, you know? And so I'm never, you know, it's funny. Most race car drivers on the street do not drive fast. I max out about 10 over the speed limit. But uh, And then the other thing is, you know what? One thing you learn when you're a race car driver is bad things happen fast. And <laughs> yeah. so, you know, the texting and driving and all that kind of stuff, you know, it would be yeah. nice if they, if they came up with a way, you know, my teammate Andy Pilgrim is a, a huge advocate against, uh, you know, texting and driving. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, let's, let's make our roads a lot safer. Listen to the master here. Great advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you in Cadillac racing? Well, they can, you know, they can get me on Twitter and stuff like that. Same with Cadillac. And, uh, I think I'm Johnny O'Connell one on Twitter, something okay. like that. But, uh, it, uh, but yeah, you know, best way ever is to get out to a racetrack, you know, and, uh, and cheer those Cadillacs on. Absolutely. Do it every, every moment you get. Listeners, you can find links again to everything we talked about here at carsyeah.com. Just put Johnny in the search box. And his show notes page will come up with all these links and a great photo of Johnny and his Cadillac. Johnny, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. It's been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the track. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!